There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to part two of our Avengers extravaganza. I am Eduardo, and I have been joined today by some ace, acrobatic, athletic Avengers. So, boys, do some flips for us. (laughs) (laughs) The gang's back together again, just like last episode. We've got Peaches. We've got Chris. We've got Robbie. Hello. What's up, guys? Well, that was a different intro. Up is a preposition. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought we could mix it up, you know. Yeah. Rick Astley's never gonna give you up. It's our first ever part two on this episode. So uh, yeah, <laughs> on this episode, yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it is in fact the first part two on this episode. Uh, We're gonna have a second part two next. Week. For those of you that don't know, this is assembly required. Part Hopefully, two, you've listened two. to the first episode of this two-part Avengers series, and also the rest are... of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and also the rest of the episodes. But we are Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective where we are rebuilding the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. All the way from the first Iron Man movie through Endgame and beyond. And beyond. And if, you're, and if this is your first time listening, welcome. You should probably go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes to get caught up to speed. If you have listened to all the episodes, thank you. Thank you for making it this far and for sticking with this band of weirdos. We love you. Wow, we three thousand. We got drowned, but also more than real that. quick. <laughs> we know. were ace acrobats like not two minutes ago, and now we're just a gang of weirdos. <laughs> why? Why can't we be both? Yeah, por qué no los dos? It could be two things. <laughs> for the for for where we left off, we left off at a cliffhanger. There was an argument happening on the world's most boring set piece. Oh my god! Oh, already. Already. Right away. I am gonna do some flips. <laughs> <laughs> He's flipping out. Okay, the most world's most mediocre set piece, the the helicarrier. Uh, uh, there's a lot right. of dis- disgusted faces looking at me right now. Oh there you go, all our viewers, <laughs> listeners, whatever y'all are, and. Bruce Gamma Gregg had finally lost control and it started messing up the helicarrier. So thanks. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate that. It made the helicarrier more interesting to me. Um, <laughs> Did we actually talk about the argument? Was there anything anyone wanted to say about that argument? Was we there? didn't talk about it. I mean, we mentioned they were arguing. I don't know that we. we yeah, I don't think detail. we really got into the details of it. I yeah, think we, I th- we did not. I think it's worth exploring just because it sets up or it really brings to the forefront just the conflicting nature of all of the Avengers. And, well, there's that yeah. there's that line, right, that that has been like turned into oh, like yeah. a montage now between Tony Stark and and um, and Steve. The one that's like uh, you could never make the big play and um, right. You're not the one to, just, to throw yourself in the wire. Right, right, sacrifice right. play. Yes, yeah, sacrifice the play. There it is. And then, and uh, 
Tony, you're nothing special. Everything, everything special, right? Everything that's special about you came out of a bottle, right? Which both of those are objectively not true, right? Because Tony well, literally makes the sacrifice play in the end, and uh, in that same film, Captain America proves worthy to handle Mjolnir. It's yeah, it's kind of weird though. You know what about that line? I was specifically thinking about that line, and when they say that to each other, you know, and um, and Roger says you're not the one to make the sacrifice play. He kind of shows that he is in this movie, but not as obviously. Well, he's uh, not as successful. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. Like, he does like, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like that's, not that's at the same growth. scale. Yeah, not at the same right. scale. But you still have to wait to the end of the movie for Tony to prove right. that he could make a sacrifice right. play. Whereas Tony saying that Steve is just a laboratory experiment and everything special about him came out of a bottle. Literally the first time you meet Steve in his movie, you know that that's not the case. Right. Right. So it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. To me it, to it's like, Tony, you're, you're just wrong here. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I usually am on team Iron Man, but in this case, I'm right. like, no, we know that he's something special. Yeah. He's not just a laboratory. Experiment. Maybe that's Tony's fault for not watching the first Captain America movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the hell, man? I, <laughs> what's I his, think what's that's, his problem? It's Tony's jealousy. <laughs> Again, he's got he's got that little brother syndrome when it comes to Steve. Well, and I remember well, when and, this movie came out, like that argument, I got really excited during that argument because we had just gotten through Civil War, which was obviously very much like the comic Civil War, which was obviously oh, yeah. very much... Tony versus Captain America just being at odds as, you know, fundamental human beings. And this argument to me was just, I, I remember leaning over to my wife and saying something about it. Like, like in the comics, they eventually come to serious blows over big issues. And, and it just felt like they were setting up that sort of thing. And obviously they were in a different way, but setting up that sort of thing here right in their first movie together. And I really loved it. You know, I think to, to try to be the, um, the devil's advocate here and try to side for Tony. Um, think about what Tony has had to do to become Iron Man. Think about all the work he's had to put into. Think about the iterations and iterations and iterations yeah, on the Iron Man Yeah, he built from scraps suit. in a cave. Right. And, and think about all that. And then think about somebody like Captain America who was given a serum and then is now, and we, we know because we've seen the movie, that's not necessarily the case that he had. The character is just as much a part of it as it is the serum. But from Tony's perspective, it's this guy that was just handed everything, which is funny when you think about it because Tony just in life was handed everything. So like they both like kind of are saying the same things in different ways. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. Like while he was handed the legacy of his family, he also is really, really hella smart. And if he wasn't hella smart, he would not be the genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Yes. That he is. No, he would just be hammer. Right. <laughs> right. He'd be like breaking he both lines. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's you can say that Tony's objectively wrong about Steve, but it doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. It is what he really believes and that comes through. That that's that's a big character moment for him. Yes. Right. right. It's it's difficult to to separate what we as the audience believe to be true and what the characters believe to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait it's to talk true. about Star Lord and Infinity War because I feel like that's uh, that's Ooh. a great example of boy, <laughs> boy. I love that you brought that up. Uh-huh. You know what? That scene, though, in general, is just really an interesting shot because if you take the time to listen to every single person's argument, 
they're all actually arguing. Like, it's not just a bunch of mumble jumble. It's yes. like they're all saying something to somebody else. And yeah. it's kind of impressive that all of those people are in a room at the same time just doing what they do in that scene. I don't yes. know. It's it's. I love how incredulous Bruce is when Nat says something along the lines of S.H.I.E.L.D. keeps keeps an eye on high-level threats, and Bruce just goes, Captain America's on threat watch. Right. Yeah. And the way the cameras slowly start tilting, which, okay, like, not a new device, but it just works so well in that scene of just everything's yeah. getting really uneasy. It's kind of become a Marvel signature, too. They yeah. use that a lot throughout a lot of movies. Uh, kind of feels like a horror movie shot, though. Yeah. If we, if we can pick things apart a little bit here, uh, because this is when it's revealed... Well, first of all, Tony is really interested in the Hulk. And he's kind of been trying to convince Bruce that, hey, you know, maybe letting the other guy out isn't such a bad idea. And Bruce, of course, is reticent to do that. He is not a fan of the other guy, as mm -hmm. he keeps calling him. <laughs> and Steve also agrees that, you know, maybe not the best idea to, to unleash an uncontrollable rage beast. But we also get a great example of how under control Bruce actually is with it because he gets poked. He's like, oh, you know, if I couldn't be around po pokey things, I, uh, I wouldn't do very well. But then we also get this is when we find out that Tony has hacked into S.H.I.E.L.D. systems to find out what phase two is. He kind of plants the seed of doubt into Steve's head about Fury's intentions, which we talked about a little bit in the Captain America episode. Fury's first impression is, hey, so we tried to lie to you about where you were and it didn't work out very well. So he probably he's following orders, but he probably already has his doubts about S.H.I.E.L.D. and about Nick Fury specifically. So Steve goes off and finds out that phase two is they are recreating Hydra weapons with the Tesseract because that's what Red Skull used them for. And that's what the Security Council wants. Security Council being above S.H.I.E.L.D. And we see the. Security councils, the shadowy figures throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole movie. And real quick sidebar about the Security Council, actually. I don't know if you've watched if you watch Angels of the Shield or not. Oh gosh, what was the name? Powers Booth is yes, the Powers actor Booth. who plays Powers Booth. He plays the the head of the Security Council in this movie. He actually had a season long arc on Agents of Shield where it was revealed that not only was he the head of Security Council, but he was also a high ranking Hydra member. And Hydra had infiltrated that far. And it was uh, it was kind of cool to bring him back for that. So oh, he passed away. Yeah. Yes, he did recently. And uh, don't like forget, just, he's just the last year. well by guy from Tombstone, <laughs> which is mostly what I think of him as. Definitely don't know what that is. You've so. never you know, oh you know what it is. You may not you may not know immediately, but you'd recognize it if you saw it. Yeah. This this very informative website called Google is telling me that tombstone came out in 1993 i was born in 1991 yes but the well by guy still shows up just look up well by i guarantee you've seen the picture at some point anyway anyway continuing yeah, so on. yeah so everyone's arguing and it's really it's really great and also we find out that they are making these weapons because of thor because of the grudge match that thor and the destroyer had in new mexico because that supposedly introduced the world to the idea of aliens which, in light of Captain Marvel, Fury's lying again, probably. I think that's the easiest way yeah. to explain it. Yeah, right. Fury's lying again. <laughs> yeah. just, just whenever something doesn't make sense, just assume that Nick Fury is lying. Right. I didn't think about that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Until you just said it. That's 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so it doesn't not, quite fit, good. but <laughs> right. Are you are you all familiar with the concept of the Marvel No Prize? No. No. The no. no prize. This is something they did back in the '60s and '70s and beyond, I think. But it it goes way back to the early days of Marvel Comics. If someone noticed what should be considered a continuity error and wrote into Marvel, but then also included their explanation of why the continuity error wasn't actually an error, then they would win what was called the No Prize, which was an empty envelope. <laughs> This contains your no prize. And it was a big deal if you got a no prize. Because I think the envelope might have been decorated to say that it was the no prize. Uh, so I, I kind of <laughs> so I, I kind of want my no prize for saying, well, Nick Fury's lying. That's why this doesn't contradict Captain Marvel. Right in, man. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, maybe Kevin Feige will start giving them out. Your <laughs> retrospective. Yeah. Anyway, that, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to say about that scene. I'm sorry to have, like moved us into that direction no then the hulk happens well the hulk happens because hawkeye and x shield goons show up oh yeah and they start trashing the place which flings people everywhere and that's how bruce banner starts to gamma uh, gamma greg out (laughs) (laughs) now but on the suit this whole scene with hawkeye is awesome and peaches you uh, started to come 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 around on Hawkeye uh, in this movie, correct? You know, when I, f- when I first saw this, and actually for quite a while of just being more invested in Marvel, I, I still didn't really love Hawkeye for a long time. And I, you know, I... Oh, he's the guy with a bow and arrow. Okay, like, Tony calls him Legolas in the <laughs> uh-huh. Battle for New York scene, and I'm like, yeah, he's just Legolas. But... You know, watching all of this stuff and then going back and seeing his earlier appearances, Hawkeye is way cooler than I gave him credit for. And knowing from the last episode, Robbie saying that Hawkeye used to be a villain totally makes his role in this movie make a lot more sense Absolutely. as the one that was turned with the, with the Mind Stone, spoiler alert, which is inside the Scepter. Um, but I just think that this is what this is what the future movies did not do right with Hawkeye. This movie got this certain aspect of Hawkeye, I guess, right. But more than being right, it's super cool. How he's got that quiver that has all these interchangeable arrows in it. How cool is that? And it, like he uses so many different arrows in this movie. But when he's attacking the helicarrier and he shoots into the bridge uh, at Fury and everybody... One of his turns into a fucking USB drive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who <laughs> like, has a USB arrow? Wasn't this continued into... Wasn't that whole setup continued in Ultron? Oh, yeah. No, he has Ultron a really high-tech quiver. Does he? Yeah, but I think you're right yeah. that it was kind of forgotten after that. Maybe they maybe they used it a little in Ultron, and I just don't remember it because, you know, my memories of Ultron aren't great. But <laughs> I just... You know, his character is a good character whether you want to call him just a guy with a bow or not like he he definitely has more development as the movies go on and i think that it started a lot earlier than people will give him credit for so hawkeye's pretty cool you know it's interesting you say that and i don't disagree with any of it but i think it's really interesting you say it because to me i guess in the bubble i've always been in hawkeye has always been like one of the most popular characters in the movies like way beyond his popularity what i feel like his popularity should be given his weight in the movie so i feel like a lot of people mm-hmm. actually agree with you maybe just not the people you're podcasting with i i think maybe he's an attractive man so that i was in, in fact favor. thinking of a lot of people that are attracted and, to men. and I, 
And I think that also his portrayal, his current-ish portrayal in the comics paints him way more of a badass than he is portrayed in the movie up until Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, and maybe that's a part of it too. Yeah, after Nick Fury, I feel like he's the character who was most influenced by his uh, cinematic portrayal. Yeah, you think well, wasn't, so? Wasn't Nick Fury influenced by the actor who was then yes. influenced by the portrayal? Well, sort of, but so, like, it also <laughs> depends on which like universe you're talking about, because like yeah. Ultimate Nick Fury was absolutely Samuel L. Jackson, but then they also like convolutedly retroactively made you know mainline yes, Nick Fury Samuel Jackson and so like we really really need to not go down that road but yeah <laughs> I can't remember if we've talked about this on the show or not I know we've talked about it in real life at least about how crazy it is how they brought in that Nick Fury into the, yes. the 616 universe but anyway all that that is to say Peaches I really do agree with you he's low on the list for me in the film but i do think everything you say is correct it's just the film has a lot of great characters he is one of them even though he's bow and arrow guy yeah yeah it's easy to joke about the archer who was on a team with a god and a super soldier and a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist and a super spy but you forget that he's also a super spy and he's a much better archer than anyone else in the world so you You know what i also I consider this movie his debut, even though he is literally yes. in Thor, because he doesn't really do anything in Thor. He's just like, hey, look, a Hawkeye. And he mm-hmm. doesn't ever fire an arrow. He just exists for a second. Right, and I think it's and pretty great stop. that they took him, probably the least recognizable character in their movie, important to the Avengers, and that's why he's here, no previous movie, and they gave him an actually important arc. And I think that showed a lot of trust in what they can make Hawkeye as a character, Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner's performance, all of those things. And I think it paid off. I think it really worked out to take probably the most anonymous dude from your main cast and give them a very important character arc through the film. Yeah. I'd heard, and I don't know if this is just Hollywood gossip, but I'd heard that Jeremy Renner was not thrilled with Hawkeye's arc in this movie. He I didn't believe, like that. Yeah, I think for, I remember hearing that. Yeah, for like half the movie, he's brainwashed and doesn't really get to play the character and you don't get to meet the actual Hawkeye save for two minutes at the beginning until the third act when it becomes the big battle so he doesn't really get to do any anything with the characterization except for a couple fun lines here and there Uh, which is why I think he had such an important part and I think his story is one of the better parts of Age of Ultron kind of reaching out to the twins and yeah and teaching them about being a part of the team and Hey, I'm a guy with a bow and they let me on the team. Yeah. You're part of the team too. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll talk about that in a future episode. Oh yeah. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> oh, I did it on purpose. I know you did. That doesn't stop my disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes it hurt even more. <laughs> so the movie moves on. Um, we're getting that big fight and one of the turbines gets exploded and it is up to Cap and Iron Man to fix this turbine together. We get a lot of Cap and Iron Man in this movie, and Captain America and Iron Man's relationship is integral to the first three phases of the MCU. It is so, so, so important to the point where a lot of these movies hinge on that relationship. Mm -hmm. I can tell you several movies off the top of my head that hinge on the relationship between Captain America and Iron Man, Civil War being probably paramount um, of all of them. Yeah. 
And this movie, it, it's interesting how many seeds it sows just from the jump, right? Like you can see, like we already talked about the few lines that were given that kind of pay off later in Endgame, but there are several other like little tiny tidbits that you get that you go, oh, wow, they were they had planned this from the beginning or they, even if they hadn't planned it from the beginning, they did a really good job calling back to this. Yeah. I, I love this, the scene between them here and I think that they, they just work so well even though they act like they don't want to work so well together. Like, um tony's trying to tell (laughs) tony's trying to tell steve the really in-depth diagnostic of how he's going to get the engine to work again and steve's like speak english right (laughs) see that red lever pull the red lever Mm -hmm. and whatever and um you know i like when he tells him to go over to the relay and he's like, what do you see in there? And he's like, it appears to be running on electricity. Some form of... <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> You're not wrong. Did you know that when that when he says that, Robbie just said it, Tony's response is, well, you're not wrong. And I want to just say that I say, well, you're not wrong, like 17 <laughs> times a day. And I had no idea it was probably from this. Movie. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I mean, I, I'm so happy you brought this up, Eduardo, because I just... Going through this retrospective, this movie more than any other is just making me think of where I was as a fan when it was coming out. This was such a big deal to me. And I think, I don't know if you guys disagree with me, but I just felt watching this that if this whole experiment of the MCU succeeded, you saw that these two, from this movie, you saw these two were going to drive where the fran- the whole franchise was going to go. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely what happened. It, it, it's You're correct that their relationship and the two of them as as characters are incredibly integral to the whole franchise. They weren't necessarily the two most important characters in this film. They just kind of became that and molded the rest of the franchise through the first three phases. And I feel like it's great seeing that it was there from the start and what we thought was going to happen happened. You know, the two of them came about in the MCU version of civil war. They're, they're getting basically back together, if you will, in the the finale of the Avengers franchise was super important. It's really, really cool seeing the original again and then going back and watching this. And I think everything you said is correct on how important they are and how they play off. They disagree. They're very, very different people who fundamentally don't get along. And I know that's something that like a lot of edgy comic book writers like, like I know um, in uh, the dark Knight returns, which is okay. Important in its time, but in hindsight, just created a lot of gross stuff in comics. But one of the things that was really important was they, the the writer said, well, Superman and Batman would not get along. And okay, yeah, that's true. But also comic books are supposed to be fun. And that's where we've got with Captain America and Iron Man. They don't necessarily get along. But what's important and should be important with Batman and Superman, but I'm going to leave DC out of this, is there are fundamentally still heroes. And right here in this first movie of them together we have them angry we have them threatening each other we have them wanting to fight and the moment there is a threat they are heroes and they are working together you know they literally save each other's lives in this lives in this scene and it's because what's more important to the two of them is the greater good and that's ultimately where their both of their arcs went by the end of the mcu and you once said that i like spider-man and chris likes eduardo you once said i like spider-man and chris likes captain america because of their fundamental goodness as people 
And I think that's a lot of the where the Steve and Tony relationship circles is no matter the disagreement, in the end, the greater good is what wins out. I'm over here like crying, man. Oh, I thought you guys <laughs> didn't like it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm... I didn't want to wipe interrupt. some tears away from my, my cheeks. There's also something to be said about the leader dynamic, right? Like, think about the Avengers. We can say at first glance that Captain America is the leader of the Avengers, right? But you can also make an argument that Iron Man has a role in every single plan the Avengers ever make. He is just as much of a leader as Steve is, or at least he thinks he is. And that power dynamic is something that they struggle with a lot because they both think they have all the answers. Yeah. I mean, Steve's a natural leader. That's what he did before he was iced, and he wants to do it again. He feels comfortable in control, which Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. But Tony also is the one that doesn't normally play nice with others, and now he's that's what he has to do. So he's trying to be the one in control because he's like, we're going to do this my way because I'd rather do this by myself. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, Tony's kind of the ego. I don't necessarily want to say ego-driven leader. I mean, there is a a part of that is why he kind of wants to be the leader. But I think the other part is he thinks slash knows he's the smartest guy in the room. So he's like, well, of course my plan's going to work. We'll just do it my way. I've got this. I've done it before. I'll do it again. You go back to the, the scene with Congress, uh, with the Senate hearing in Iron Man two, where he's like, only I can fix this not to <laughs> invoke some other people who, who think that they know everything. I love big tariffs. <laughs> oh, big tariff is back. What? You know, it all makes sense to me now. The reason Iron Man had to die, spoilers, sorry, ah! had to die at the end of Endgame is because he couldn't live with not being the smartest anymore because Shuri exists. Yes. <laughs> damn oh. it. So he was like, damn it. It's I'm kind not of the it. smartest one anymore. It's a shame we never got any good Shuri Excuse me. Tony Stark Leader scenes. already exists in the MCU. We saw him at the end of The Incredible <laughs> Hulk, and no one killed him, so he clearly still exists. He's just not on screen. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. He ended up going to a camp where he met Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> and <laughs> did you know that Digging Holes builds character? A-R-M-P-I to the T. What is that? You're smelling dog? That's me. So you said Shia LaBeouf, and I just figured that leader was walking through the woods. Shia LaBeouf! Shia LaBeouf! Boy, these are some Actual deep cuts on the Shia this week. <laughs> what is running out of your stump leg? So okay, Loki. so... Go ahead. Oh, that's I was gonna do the same thing. So, what what's <laughs> happening? What's happening while they're fixing the engine? We got oh yeah, we've got another horror, horror movie scene. Hulk running around with yep. Black Widow. Yep. I I'm really curious because I don't think it was ever really explored. Why is the Hulk the only thing that really seems to shake Nat? Maybe she's never never seen anything that's that. Inhuman, yeah, that was what humans are something else. Not necessarily <laughs> something that she's never <laughs> had to deal with before, and it almost got her. Like, yeah, and it no, could have easily I, ripped her in half. I think it's more nuanced than that. I think she 
is somebody who, just like Tony, is always in control. She knows how to manipulate. Mm-hmm. She's a super spy. She knows that, I mean, especially men, right? Think about how she's manipulated those guys earlier. Yeah. Think about how she manipulates Loki. There's no way she's going to manipulate the Hulk. She has no power over him, and she right. understands that, where I feel like she could get through any other situation if it was you know, a normal person or normal circumstances. Yeah. But a situation like the Hulk, there's no manipulating the Hulk. There's no getting around that. He is the Hulk, and he will yes. destroy you. And it was actually... True. Absolutely. Now, no, go ahead. I was going to say, now, as soon as you said that, I remembered the line and I never really made the connection in my mind before to the Hulk. But she says to Hawkeye later on, she goes, this is gods and monsters and nothing we've ever been trained yes. for. And I never made that connection to it being Hulk. I was just thinking about the battle. And, Cup, but yeah, that's exactly and it's it absolutely part of the, her character in this film that I really, really loved and still love where She's absolutely portrayed as a badass, but given a vulnerability in terms of it, it wouldn't make sense for someone to be unflappable in the face of the Hulk, even someone as cool as Black Widow. And I love that they actually they actually made it something that startles her. And it's from when she's sent to get him. She's clearly uncomfortable at that point. Um, She goes and she handles it, but she's obviously afraid of him. And then she's afraid when she first sees him Hulk out. And to me, and then she still goes and we'll get to this, but she still goes and and helps save the day. But it, it. totally made sense to me as a character to show that even one of the, the the most competent people in the universe is startled by seeing the Hulk. I thought that was important, but I also think there's an element of it. And this may be me being someone who's reading too much in the film, but I've always felt that there's a little bit of guilt to her in that as well. She's the one that brought him and she said it was just for Bruce Banner and not the Hulk. And then she's telling him, I'm going to get you out of this. And then all hell breaks loose. And I've always taken that there was a little bit, especially with where their character, the two characters went further in the MCU, Hmm. that there was a little bit of discomfort and guilt over having created this. And also, she's the one that figured out Loki's plan and then didn't stop it. And so I always took that it was not just the Hulk being scary, but also Natasha Romanoff being self-deprecating over having created the situation even though she didn't, but feeling as yeah. though she created the situation and didn't prevent it. She's probably not used right. to failing. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. The more you break this down, the more it's like layer after layer of things that she's just not used to doing. Failing, guilty, like just guilt, having guilt, not being able to control anything. I, I think I'd be freaking out, too. I want to go watch this again now because I know it kind of opened my mind. <laughs> It's more than knowledge. It's truth. Oh, my gosh. Well, well then you get the Hulk. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, then you get the Hulk and Thor yeah. fight. Yeah. Right after that. What's that? Which, I, before we break that down, I just want to say Thor's stuntman must have had the most fun out of all of the stuntmen in the whole <laughs> movie because he has so many cool fight scenes. I don't know if other people have just as many and I'm just not registering them properly, but Thor fights mm-hmm. everyone. <laughs> Thor fights everyone. Yeah. And I'm just sure that there's that his stunt double had a, a terrific time. That's all. Go on. No, I was going to say it's a cool fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> there's not there's not a lot to break down. Yeah. It's cool. Oh, it's awesome. Man. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's fun. Yeah, one of the it, biggest geek moments moments in the it. film for me was the Mjolnir <laughs> flying through the helicarrier. It's I like Hulk trying to pick it up. Yeah, him yes, right after. That's Thor also cool. Him. Yeah, because they never actually... That, that was the one thing that I noticed that they didn't explain in this movie. They do, they do a really good job of 
getting you up to speed with everything that you might have missed if you didn't see any of the other movies, I think. Except for they never, there's never like a line of dialogue or anything where they talk about only the worthy can pick up Mjolnir. But I guess you do sort of get it, like if Hulk can't pick this up, it must be that only Thor can pick it up. Maybe that extra little bit before Thor regains his Thor powers in the movie Thor, where they go back to Odin saying, you know, he who be worthy can can wield the power of Thor. Maybe that clip was supposed to go into the Avengers. <laughs> and instead they put it at the end of Thor because they didn't trust we were smart enough yeah. to know what they were doing. Is that a no, a no, whatever? That's a no prize. I'll grant it. I want one. But but yeah, it is a lot of fun watching the Hulk get weighed down by just this hammer and then lifting it up and it's just dragging him into the ground because it's immovable. It's a lot of fun. And then the payoff we get later when Hulk and Thor team up and they save the day and then Hulk just punches Thor off the screen because he still <laughs> doesn't like him. But I also, what I, another thing I like about that scene is that Thor is trying to appeal to the man inside. He's going, we're not your enemies, Banner. Right. Yes, absolutely. Thor has a couple really great moments in this, and I'm going to hold off on talking about one until a little bit later because it, it comes towards the end. But he has a couple really great moments of him interacting with the other Avengers that I think really define his character pretty well. So the, the scenes move on. Thor ends up getting trapped in Loki's cell as Loki escapes. Also, get... if I can point out something real quick, that <laughs> stunt Loki uses... He literally, where he he creates the fake Loki, baits Thor through it. Literally does that in Avengers issue one as well. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. It's a neat callback to the comic. And while all of this has happened, Thor actually ends up kicking Hulk off of the off of the helicarrier, and he kind of flies through. And we we end up meeting back up with the Hulk a little later. We end up meeting back with Bruce a little later. And during this whole interaction, we get to see the big gun that uh, Chris alluded to earlier. That the alien technology that they had been studying that they didn't know about, apparently. Okay. And then we get Coulson's death scene. And if you are listening to this, I am putting both my hands up and using both of my uh, my <laughs> index finger and my middle finger to do quotations. And I'm saying <laughs> death scene because Coulson is not actually dead. Um, uh, I'm going to be a nerd well, here. And Okay, so he they, he dies and they bring him back, right? Yeah, they, bring him ba- right. They, they bring him back to life. Right, you're but, gonna be a. But nerd that's not here. really important to this. this <laughs> right, I'm gonna I, be a nerd here on this MCU podcast. Yeah, the person who's on this podcast, I'm gonna be a nerd for a second. <laughs> if you'll permit me. Well, and I by the way, say, no. By ahead. the way, oh no, I was gonna continue joking. Please say something actually <laughs> substantial. Oh, I just wanted to say, like, even on rewatching this, even after having seen it multiple times, even knowing he's brought back to life in Agents of Shield. The Coulson death scene still works really mm-hmm. well. I'm still really uncomfortable when I know it's coming. I'm still yeah. really stressed out about the death of Agent Coulson. Like, it's crazy how much we care about a side character dying. Um, and it meant there were actually stakes. And it gave Loki an actual moment of villainy. That said, I know we all love Agent Coulson. And we all keep talking about just wanting good old Loki just to go straight and be good old Loki. How are y'all who want Loki to go straight and love him so much, rectifying the fact that he straight up murders the other guy you like. Because he, the guy that I like gets brought back to life. Oh, okay. Seconds. That makes it okay. Like, Got it. May, maybe an hour later. If he was gone forever, maybe I'd feel the sting more. But like, Coulson, oh, we just mourned you. By the way, here's Coulson on this new TV show. <laughs> I guess it makes it sting a little less when 
he, nothing really happened. And he just went to Tahiti. He didn't die. Right. Magical place. <laughs> uh, for me, and, and that's a great question. I remember you saying that you were going to hold off on bringing up. Uh, this is a great pay, payoff to something you mentioned weeks ago about how you know we want Loki to be good. And I think even if someone does something bad, you can still want them to have done something good. I will always be sure. Keep going. Yeah, I, say, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's something about Loki because we got more time with Loki than we got with any other villain. We got to see his, for lack of a better way to phrase it, his human side more than we did for any other villain, save for probably Thanos in Infinity War and Infinity War only. Uh, and the first, and the first 10 minutes of Endgame. <laughs> but because of that, and because we know him first as Thor's brother, that's how he's first introduced to us, is not as the villain. Because, yeah, if you know anything about either the comics or Norse mythology, and you see Loki, you're going to go, okay, he's going to get up to something when you're watching Thor. But if you go in with a clean slate, or try to, then you're first introduced to him as Thor's brother. And it's not until halfway through the movie that it's like, oh, he's he's planning something here. Because of that, because he is the brother of someone that we care about, and because Thor cares about him and never stops caring about him, I think that helps audience, uh, at least me as an audience member. It's like, I want to see that redemption. You want to think that maybe he's not so far gone from redemption, because this is also Loki, and this is not justifying him killing one of my favorite characters in this whole series, but this is also <laughs> Loki at a at a very low point in his life. He's he feels like he's lost everything, and this is like his last desperate grasp at relevance and power. And yes, he's evil. He is the bad guy. Definitely. He is unequivocally a bad guy here. But we've even gotten scenes in this film of Thor trying to appeal to his brother, the you know, the the goodness that he believes against all odds still exists in there. And because of that, I, I think that's what makes me want to see that, well, we know we're not done with Loki. Like if Loki had died at the end of this movie, you could have said, and that's a justified death for the villain. The end. If, if you can justify villain deaths in movies, I don't know. Uh, I get it. You but, just don't care about Coulson dying. I understand. Oh, I care very much about Coulson dying. And, sure, yeah, 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 and yeah. taking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. out of the equation. I, I loved Coulson. I actually, right before Avengers came out, I introduced a couple of my friends to these movies and we were watching all of them. And as we're watching them, I was getting very excited about Coulson. I was like, he's going to come back in, the, in in Thor too. And he's just so cool. And I hear he has a real big part in Avengers. It's going to be great. And then I went and I watched this movie and I was like, Joss Whedon, you son of a bitch, you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a feather on the wind. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Eduardo. I just think we all love a good redemption story. I think that's where, where, where I'm at with it. I think that's why I like Loki so much. That's why I think I think I give him a little bit of a pass. I think if I think of some of my favorite long-form media, so not necessarily movies, but like TV shows, the mm-hmm. first one that comes to mind is going to be Avatar The Last Airbender. And I think of what, who my favorite character is on that show. Um, it's Sokka. But then there's Zuko. <laughs> <laughs> what about Iroh? Come on, man. Oh, Iroh. Oh, my God. I forgot about Iroh. You're right. You're Come right. right. It's Iro. Iro, Sokka, and then Zuko. Okay. <laughs> and Zuko has this phenomenal redemption story throughout that. And he does some bad stuff there. He like 
he hurts a lot of people. He he does some he lies to people that he cares about. I guess he doesn't necessarily murder anyone per se, but he does some really bad things. And that redemption is something that's that is. Um, I think it's comforting because as humans, we are we are imperfect and we all make mistakes and we sort of see ourselves in some of the bad things sometimes as well as we see ourselves in some of the good things. So to see someone overcome some of the bad things that they've done and turn it around and use that for something positive, I think it's something that we want. We crave that kind of thing because we crave that in our own lives. And so that's something that I think I wanted to see with Loki because I, I, I liked him as a character and I wanted to see him grow out of that. And it seemed like they were sowing seeds for that. And to be fair, they sort of did. He didn't make the full turn. I think he did in his last moments. That was the supposed to be the full turn to him, you know, finally embracing being, um, you know, being on the other side of it uh, rather than um, being the, the villain. And so I think he, as a as the human element, we we, we crave that. And I think that's why I've, I, uh, I wanted Loki. Element. Why not? Don't say human element. Okay, I'm going to piggyback off of you, Eduardo, and then we'll see if Robbie feels satisfied. I agree that his arc as a whole makes it makes him a more redeemable character. And I think part of that has to do with Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki as time continues to go on, that we just continue to like Loki. And I think another big part of that is that the villainy in the MCU, the stakes of villainy are raised so exponentially. If you watch Avengers you know, in release order, you get to Avengers, you probably think, wow, this is a shit storm of a problem and they have to save New York and eventually the world because everything's going to die. But if you compare that to what Thanos wants to do, it's like a, it's like a, a it's not, I, I don't even have a good analogy. It's not even comparable to what Thanos is going to do. By the time we get there and, you know, Loki may or may not actually die to Thanos, it's like Loki wasn't even really a threat, was he, <laughs> compared to what's out there? And I think part of liking him so much is that, you know, he is the villain that lives long enough to see himself become possibly a good guy and is overshadowed by a much bigger problem than he ever created. So I can forgive him for killing Coulson because everything kind of worked out the way it needed to. Uh, and now both of them are dead, so whatever. <laughs> I mostly just wanted Rip. to hear you guys defend yourselves. I think... What's your what's your stance well, on it? Do you hate so, Loki? No, I don't. Um, I am a little... It does feel slightly jarring, not enough to make me dislike it. Slightly jarring that I feel like we made... That Loki was made a straight-up villain and then was too popular of a character and kind of, like, suddenly veered into anti-hero as in his next three appearances... Um, or like more like almost kind of lovable, mischievous, uh, trickster God, which, okay, kind of he is, but in this one, they made him hard villain. And then it just felt like that was kind of a little bit just forgotten. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's a lovable scamp in, I mean, as much as we like might crap on dark world, he does at the end of that depose the rightful King of Asgard and strand him on earth until he dies. Eh, we'll see when I rewatch that. So, and again, it's not yeah. really a hardcore but, criticism. I mostly spoilers. actually do agree yeah. with you guys. I, I do think that this Loki is not the same Loki that we see in the future films, for better or worse. I, I do, again, mostly agree no. with you guys and just wanted to hear you make your arguments. 
I kind of enjoy that Loki sort of organically turned into a sort of an anti-hero though. I think that I think that was a smart play by Marvel. I think it was a uh, a good idea for them to take something like give the people what they want. Am I right? Like, and 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 I again, I think yeah. that the seeds were sown from the very beginning, just because of the familial aspect of it. So actually, I would almost say that maybe the Loki we see in future movies is the same as the Loki that's in Thor, and this one is kind of out of whack. So maybe that's where I would go. I just kind of like this out of whack Loki. You know, maybe maybe he went off the deep end. And then, you know, after you get thrashed around a tower by Hulk, you probably <laughs> want to go back to the yeah, way possibly. things were. Again, I don't you have know? strong yeah. disagreements. I really just enjoyed y'all's arguments. Yeah, and this is a Loki that at the end of Thor fell into some sort of void for God knows how long until he's found by the most dangerous being in the universe and turned into a servant, pretty much. Like I said, he's at a low place here. Yeah. So he's going to do some desperate Also things. unrelated... For as much time as we've just spent on the helicarrier, it's clearly not boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you say so. So Loki escapes a cell, Thor then gets trapped in it, and plummets several thousand feet into the ground until he eventually uses Mjolnir to escape from the cell. Black Widow uh, kind of comes back too from her attack from the Hulk, finds Barton, and then knocks him out and captures him. Got him. Cognitive Got him. calibration. Stark and Rogers save the ship. Huzzah! But then Loki escapes, and Hulk was thrown off the ship, and Thor is flying around somewhere on the ground. Well, he's not flying, because he lands, yeah. right? Because yes. he loses the hammer, and he ends up on the ground, and he ends up not being able to pick it up, but then he picks it up without any yes. words. And if... He, like, and if I remember, for a second. Yeah, he, right, there was he, like, a cut of this movie at one point yeah. where they had the little... Uh, whosoever be worthy little thing montage and then he picked up the hammer and then but the final cut of the film cut that out Hmm. well they didn't want to show it 14 (laughs) times i guess the problem you know what the hulk scene where he where he exits the equation did any of you guys shit your pants when the dude and he grabs him jet and then grabs him Uh and yes that's a horrifying thing yeah worst night target is angry target is angry yeah, that grab is 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 uh, visceral. I didn't. I did not expect it at all. I thought he was going to be safe. I mean, he was safe, but I thought he was going to be a little safer. We we move on um, after Steven, uh, Steve and Stark have saved the ship. We get a scene with Fury. Everybody's sort of reeling from the death of Coulson, and then we get a scene of Fury telling them what the Avengers Initiative was. We had an idea. You probably heard it at the top of this show. We had mm-hmm. an idea. Um, <laughs> and using Coulson's death, he sort of motivates Stark and Rogers to, to sort of get called to action and to gives them what he deems as, you know, a push, right? And Chris, as far as Nick Fury is concerned, we start to really see his true colors here, which we've already seen a little bit of before, but we really see, especially with his scene with, um, with Maria Hill, that he is manipulating the the Avengers. He's he's getting them to do. He he he's got these schemes, and he's not necessarily the most truthful person. Yeah, Nick Fury. He's been the cameo guy up until this point. He had a few scenes in Iron Man too, but other than that, he's been limited to post credit scenes and then the very end of Captain America. But 
here he starts to get a personality beyond, hey, this is Samuel L. Jackson. He's a badass. You like him, right? Watch him. Now you get to see that, as uh, as uh, Tony says, his secrets have secrets. He's the spy. And you start to see that he is the sort of person who he will do what he thinks needs to be done to get the desired results. And of course, the desired results end up saving the world. But you can question the ethics of it. And that is why he and Steve don't see eye to eye. And that's something that we see a lot more of in <laughs> Captain America, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> eye to eye. I wasn't thinking Sorry. about that. I was not I'm going for out. the easy eye joke. Uh, <laughs> just one eye joke. Yeah. But it's uh, just very interesting to have this, the leader i i don't know if you call him the leader of the good guys but he's he's the director of shield who are ostensibly the good guys but he is layered in shades of gray and that puts him at odds with his team that he's trying to put together and he the two biggest believers in the avengers as an idea one of them just got killed by an asgardian or a frost giant if you want to be <laughs> technical and the other one Nobody trusts him, but he really believes that these Avengers are what the world needs right now. So the fact that he, he, there's the great running gag about, oh, Coulson has these uh, vintage Captain America trading cards and he wants Steve to sign them because he's been collecting them. And Nick throws them on the table and says, these were in Coulson's jacket. I guess he never did get to sign them. And it's the trading cards and they're covered in blood. And we find out later from Maria Hill that, no, those cards were in his locker. And and Fury says they needed a push. And then we see the Quinjet leaving with the Avengers. And he goes, and they found it. So, again, he's willing to manipulate the truth for what he thinks is the right uh, the right thing. And, and we will see the limits of that in Winter Soldier, the other movie. Uh, up, up, uh, the Phase 2 movie where Fury has, has his biggest role. Uh, arguably even as big as, if not bigger than he does in this film. And it's real interesting to see, does he change? Does he grow with that? Who knows? (laughs) There's only one way to find out. Keep (laughs) listening to this podcast. Yeah. And also watch the movies. I mean, that too. Come to your own. There's two ways to find out. Two (laughs) combined ways to find out. Do both. Yeah, do both. both. Por que no los dos? (laughs) So Stark realizes that Loki needs a high energy source to, to to achieve his goals, and he figures it out. It's got to be Stark Tower. It's got to be Stark Tower. He wants a monument built with his name and the son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so himself, a recovered Barton now, Romanov and Rogers take a Quinjet to New York, and we get the climax of this movie, which is the battle of New York. <laughs> and this scene has got, so we could talk about this scene for an entire episode because there is so much that happens and it is so important to what happens to the rest of the MCU. Every little thing that you see here will have tying implications to the rest, to every other movie that we talk about. So first Iron Man confronts Loki in his apartment we get that wonderful, wonderful line where he's like, I have an army. And he's like, well, we have a Hulk. And oh, that, 
Yes. I remember listening to that in the theater and everybody went ballistic. Yeah. And that's Tony still believing in Banner. At that moment, we don't know where he is, but he's still in the belief that he's going to show up, he's going to be on our side, and he's going to save the day. I love that scene, you guys. Yeah, I love that scene so scene. much. He comes in there and he's just, he goes back for a second to like pure cocky Tony. Where he comes in, he's like, Are you planning to whatever Loki says, manipulate me with your human blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, actually I'm planning to threaten you Mm -hmm. and offers him a drink. And, you know, talks about all the people they have on their side. And even when Loki comes up with the scepter and tries to, you know, how will your, how will they fight me when they'll be too busy fighting you and tries to, you know, give him a change of heart. It doesn't work. And he's like, well, you know, performance issues uh, happen <laughs> one out of five, one out of five men before Loki grabs him and throws him out the window. But I just love that scene. He's so he's so Tony in that scene. That's so Tony. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's so Tony. <laughs> so he gets thrown out the window, like you said, and he gets rescued by his new Mark seven armor. Oh, to think there was a time when we were only up to seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Um, the Tesseract then opens up a portal into space and the Chitari army descends upon New York. We then get uh, Thor arriving and confronting Loki, who escapes and joins the army. And I think what we talked about earlier, Chris, I think there's a little bit of human in here because as Thor is trying to convince Loki, like, like stop this, he's like, I can't. Even if I wanted to, I can't. It's gone too far. Yeah. Like you can see there's there's almost a little bit of hesitation in Loki. Mm-hmm. He's almost like I, you know, maybe this is maybe I've gone too far, but like at this point, you know, there's no turning back now. Yeah. There's only so, the war. I guess I just read that as a trick. Like I literally read him as playing yeah. Thor. That's the worst line in this movie. I know you guys we've we've talked in this well, we mostly talked about it in the last episode about how well Joss read Joss Whedon writes, but that line I find to be really overly cheesy where there's no stopping this. There is only big pause. The war. Like what the, what, why you couldn't come up with anything better. I respectfully disagree. And I say that the worst line in this movie is the repeated use of the phrase. What's his play. What's his play. That's his play. Yes. I agree. (laughs) You know what? I didn't notice that. Yeah, Yeah, I I did. Man, the pause before the war and then how, like deeply he says the war just the bothers war. me. I don't know. <laughs> Three to five minutes, 30 to 50 feral Chitari. <laughs> <laughs> what so, a callback. So conveniently, um, we then get all of the heroes all in the same place at the same time, including Banner. And hey. Banner reveals that he's always angry, which is a oh. meme to the extreme <laughs> and that line at this point is something that will live on forever um, i'm a big fan of well this all seems horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah then we finally get the scene the scene a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle <laughs> we get that scene which if i can say is the most satisfying scene in all of the MCU of, of, of any it, for me personally. If I can think of any scene that satisfies me, it is that circle team up right there. Even if the Avengers isn't my favorite MCU movie after l- watching all of them, that little tiny little bit of them all just standing in a circle, like getting ready, 
is just the coolest thing. Now, Robbie, I think if there's anybody else that really, and not to say that you guys weren't affected by this, but uh-huh. somebody who, who really harkens back to this scene in particular as being the precipice of, a, of the realization that this is really happening uh, on screen for you, it's you. Yes. My apologies to all our listeners and the three of you for how much I'm about to nerd out. Um, cause, oh my God, oh no. watching that in theaters and I had seen the moment where they're standing together in the advertisements leaving up to the movie, which again, as I've said, I was really skeptical that they would pull this off in any way that would make me happy. And that moment. So, so banner hulks out. That's my secret, uh, cap. I'm always angry. Punches the thing in the face. It dies. That glorious, glorious music starts playing out and and I know no, we're going to talk about the soundtrack a little bit, but oh my god, the Avengers theme is is the theme of our generation, and it starts playing as he he hulks out, he punches the Leviathan, and then we get that scene, that circle shot of them standing together, and that is one of the most memorable and important moments to me I've ever experienced in a theater when I vividly remember, like it was yesterday, leaning over to my wife and saying, this is the movie I've waited my entire life for. And I never, ever, 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 ever thought I would actually see a satisfying, exciting Avengers movie. I was actually seeing the Avengers on screen. And it wasn't just, okay, cool, I get to see the Avengers, these heroes I love are on screen. That would have been enough for me to at least be happy. But I was seeing them in a good movie. And I wasn't just even just biased about that. Everyone loved this movie. Everyone in that theater around me loved this movie. And I was just so... I, I can't remember any ever a time that new media just satisfied me so thoroughly and it just ends up just being so great um and it's just and then it immediately transitioned into all of them being cool like it's not just here's this cool shot that we can use in in you know advertisements it immediately goes to them being the avengers it immediately becomes captain america giving them directions and it's it it's cool and it's convincing and it's steve rogers that one that you know, we've come to love, but that wasn't something that was necessarily something we could assume at this time that he was that Chris Evans was being this convincing leader to these heroes. But then, you know, he's giving them directions, you know, the directions that make sense. And it goes all the way up to, you know, one of the this movie is full, full of um, fan fan uh, pleasing moments, uh, fan service. But one of the greatest moments of fan service in this entire film is we've established the characters, we've established what this fight's going to be, and he turns to Hulk, having, last time we saw them together, he doesn't trust him, and just, and Hulk, and then Hulk turns him, smash. I can't even tell you guys, like, how much I freaked <laughs> out. Like, I, I, I remember, remember the Darth Vader scene at the end of uh, Rogue One? My wife described me in that scene as, it's just like the time... Captain America said Hulk smash because I remember I remember just (laughs) being on the edge of my literally on the edge of my seat and acting like a child I was so excited I was seeing this on screen and I still feel that way when I rewatch it it's just it's so good I wish I wish he said Avengers assemble but we get a real good payoff of that line several movies down the road and believe me I'll geek out again then but oh man it was just so good and then you just get you get shots of all of them being their iconic character of of Thor using his lightning, of Captain America throwing his shield around, of of Iron Man using repulsors. Uh, it's just, it just goes so great. And just as a longtime comic book fan, I've been really defensive in the past of proper, uh, proper 
devotion shown to your source material. And the MCU does take liberties. But I'm willing to admit that I think a lot of those liberties, and I say this as a pretty um, haughty comic book fan, I think a lot of the MCU's liberties make it perhaps even better than its source material. And that's really, really something I don't say easily. And this fight scene in the Battle of New York, I think, is where that really started to happen. But it was also, I felt like I was being catered to as a comic book fan for really the first time. Maybe the Spider-Man movies, but like, so the Dark Knight movies are good, but they're not, they're what Batman would be in a real universe, appealing to a massive audience. And that is not necessarily a criticism of them, but they've never been, hey, these are the guys you liked on the pages, and we're just going to bring them to screen. And that's what this movie was. And I, I was so blown away that it happened. And that's now just, that's just a part of our world now, because the MCU has just made so much money. But at this time, that really wasn't part of my world. And it was just so, I just loved it so much, and I still love it so much, and I will calm down now. But I do want to ask you guys, um, oh, oh, and Captain America spends most of this fight in his mask. As you know, the the superhero, we got to take the mask off, because masks are stupid and ridiculous, and no one wears masks. But in this movie, until the very end of the climactic scene, Chris Evans is wearing his mask. And, and, like, just little stuff like that, like, they're embracing being a comic book movie. But I just wanted to ask you guys, just because I want your reactions, after after Hulk smashes, after we 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 pan out through the Battle of New York, I want everyone's reactions to what their favorite shot or action sequence is. Okay, I can say this because when so uh, to to peel the curtain back a little bit, Robbie had asked us this before the show, and when he asked us, I knew immediately what scene I wanted to, and it's when. Same. Hulk and Thor are on the back of the Leviathan and Hulk like sticks something in the back of the Leviathan and then Thor uses the hammer to like smash it into its back. I thought the sequencing there was so cool. And then we get that fun shot that Chris talked about earlier of Hulk punching Thor after they're done kicking ass. <laughs> yeah. I thought well, that was, and I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that shot is even more important to the entire MCU if I could could real quick, because that's the end of our first Avengers tracking shot, which mm-hmm. we now, that's just become part of the MCU, and, and sometimes you don't even notice it's happening, but that's like maybe the hallmark after after the, the theme of what an Avengers movie is, that action tracking shot. You get you get Black Black Widow starts starts it with Black Widow hijacks speeder. Then it pans to Iron Man knocking a bogey off her tail. And as Iron Man flies, he lands on a bridge. And this is all one shot. Lands on the bridge, helps Captain America. They do their cool beam deflection thing. Um, and then he flies back over. And as he flies over, we see Hawkeye sniping Chitari. And then the tracks an arrow and the arrow flies over. And we get the shot you were talking about as the arrow flies over. And then we get uh, uh, Thor and Hulk on the top of the Leviathan. And like that track, it's really cool in hindsight to watch. When I was in the theater, I'm sure I just thought that was a cool shot. And now when I watched it, I'm like, that's the Avengers Mm -hmm. thing. Like, that's the thing they brought back in the movie. And even in Age of Ultron, that shot is cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's the cinematic equivalent of a two-page splash in the comics. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, ooh. Yes, Chris. That's brilliant. (laughs) I probably heard that from someone else at some point in my life, so I will not take credit for it. No, take credit. Okay, it's me. I'm brilliant. Uh, I made this. <laughs> so what was your oh gosh? Just, so what was your favorite? I just got to say first of all that we talked about this in the Thor episode how sometimes our opinions are so different and sometimes they're exactly the same and this is one of those times when it's exactly the same. 
with the caveat that I did not come in as someone who was familiar with the source material all that much. I just knew them through the movies. But up to and including, I showed you couldn't see because you're not in the video chat, but I had written in my notes, Cap saying Hulk smash, because I remember seeing it in the theater. And when he did that, I got so excited. I just thought that was so great. And seeing them all come together. uh, What's the question? I'm sorry. I'm just like smiling. (laughs) I want to know your favorite shot, your favorite action sequence from the Battle of New York. Oh, gosh. There's a lot going on. I just want to make sure we talk about the big stuff. I'd say that the tracking shot um, is 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 it for me? I mean, that is the greatest uh, little moment. I wanna I wanna highlight though is as all seems lost and the Chitari onslaught is just not ending. And this is what I alluded to earlier. We get a great shot of uh, Thor and Cap fighting back to back, and uh, something knocks Steve over. Thor reaches his arm down, lifts him up, and says, "Are you ready for the next bout?" And and Steve says something along the lines of, what, are you getting tired? And that I remember, I think even in the moment, I loved that because you have Thor here. And as we've established, I was already a big Captain America fan. Uh, I and, and having this validation, I think, of Thor, this this prince, this warrior, this would be king of Asgard, who is now he. The, the character development that he got over the course of these two movies and him seeing Captain America as an equal and a partner in the battlefield. And then just him uh, just, there was just something, a brief kind of even unspoken thing in that moment that I love to this day. Like whenever I see that, it's like, it's just so great to see and, and seeing the friendship that they develop over the, the next few movies, you know, we get moments of it here and there with, the, Oh yeah, I see you've copied the beard. An Infinity War, but just just this just this acknowledgement from someone who is so he's the most powerful of the Avengers, uh, or at least of this initial team of Avengers, the strongest Avengers, uh, mm-hmm. debatable uh, <laughs> to some, <laughs> but just from raw power. Uh, I mean, he called down lightning. He's a god. So, but to see him acknowledge Steve and and by extension the rest of the team as well. Uh, right. Now starting to see them as teammates and equals and partners, I think is just a really great moment. And it's just a, and you grabbed something I'd never even caught. Uh, it, it's just a quick, uh, it's just a quick moment in the, in the midst of all this battling, but it, 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 for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but it really resonated with me the first time I saw it, man, I can't even say anything now. Cause y'all covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, the whole battle for New York is awesome. You can't, possibly pick a bad scene for your favorite and i'm kind of upset that you put the caveat that it has to be after the the circle shot because my literal favorite scene in the entire movie Mm -hmm. is hulk or bruce hulking out and saying you want to know my secret captain i'm always angry that every like i get chills still every time i watch that yeah and then it leads into the circle shot Um, but if i can't for whatever reason pick that shot as my favorite in the battle it just has to be in that two panel shot that we were talking about already when Tony lands on the ground and deflects his repulsor beam off of Captain America's shield. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Which you can do in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Yes. This podcast <laughs> is not sponsored by Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. <laughs> you should but it is sponsored by Squad Up. Anyway, thank you guys.
Now, throughout the Battle of New York, Chris, you wanted to touch on a little bit of the music that happens because I think the music here is especially uh, tantalizing. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we've touched on, on the Marvel score issue before and it's kind of well-trodden debate, but people are... More, more than is necessary, I think people say that that the Marvel movie scores have been weak. And, and there, there is certainly some truth to that. But you cannot argue, and Robbie, I know exactly what you're going to say, um, but you cannot argue that the Avengers theme is not iconic. Maybe not as iconic as Conan the Barbarian, apparently. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that. It's not yeah. worth it. <laughs> some, as a reference, there was someone on yes. Twitter a while back who was who was complaining about the Marvel scores and, and people were saying, well, the Avengers theme and, and this person started blocking people who were saying that and was arguing that no, the Conan, the barbarian theme is far more iconic than the Avengers theme. Excuse uh, me. Yeah. No, uh-huh. no. Yeah. Eduardo, she was straight, right up now. Saying, straight up saying that there hasn't been a recognizable action movie theme in decades and people kept saying Avengers and she kept saying no one it wasn't just more iconic she kept saying no one recognizes the Avengers theme everyone recognizes the Conan Conan the Barbarian theme and they just started blocking people for disagreeing I think that the Infinity War trailer proved that wrong (laughs) yes I mean they used that theme so well in that but and I I mean it when I said that I think that's the theme of our generation like that is I'm not going to say it's going to go down as more iconic than than like the Star Wars fanfare but I feel like that's our generation's Star Wars fanfare. Yeah, I, it is. It is certainly one of the most iconic snippets of film score to come out this this century. I would argue. Oh, easily. Yeah, and uh, you know we're twenty years into the century now, so I think it's safe to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are just a couple things I wanted to highlight. Uh, the Hulk out scene, the that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. And I think this is just a fun detail that I did not notice at first. And and certainly after Endgame has come out, I think it's noticeable. But the build up to the actual Avengers theme uh, in this scene, as he's saying that as he's turning into Hulk, it's going dun, 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 dun. And it's like building up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that comes back. Like in addition, the, now the Avengers theme came back in Age of Ultron, and actually in some other movies as well, some non-Avengers movies. Generally, whenever someone mentions the Avengers, you'll hear bum 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 bum, and that like just a snippet of it here or there. Uh, but that particular build-up to the theme, the next time we actually hear that is in Avengers: Infinity War. And it is when Thor uh, arrives on the battlefield in Wakanda, which is a top a top five moment oh, in I can't the, wait for that. the series. I can't wait for that podcast. So good. And then it comes back again in Avengers Endgame in the portals scene when everyone comes back. And and that has become the not just the Avengers theme, but Avengers theme plus that buildup is now in my mind. This is when the battle turns. Yo, does Portals and get its own I, episode? I, it should. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just, I just kind of wanted to 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 gush about the Avengers theme. A no, little I bit. appreciate. And and the other, uh, there was one other moment that I want to mention. This is going way back, but uh, about the music in this movie. Uh, going back to the scene in Stuttgart. I know that we talked about in the last episode, but I just think of the way they. Uh, the the that scene is scored to uh, a Schubert piece, String Quartet Number no. Thirteen, 
And I just think it's really cool how it starts off as diegetic music. It's music that is being played in the film, like the, the musicians are there. But then when Loki takes over, the music continues and becomes more intense. But now it is just the score of the scene and, and the musicians yeah. are playing it. And it's just a really cool, dynamic scene. Uh, so yeah, I think the music in this in this film is great. Alan Silvestri is the composer, just like he was for Captain America: First Avenger, and he returned for Infinity War and Endgame as well. And I think he does a, a great job, and he, he created this great theme that will go down in history as one of the great heroic themes of of cinema. That was wonderful, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I feel Always emotional about this movie. <laughs> It's a it's, I, it's a damn good movie. It is. Um, so we've already talked about the, the heroes have been divided. They're they're using their strengths to help attack the Chitari. Um, uh, we get a fun scene of Captain America convincing a New York cop to listen to him. Um, <laughs> oh, sure, man, that still you. works so well. It's still so funny. Hawkeye knocks Loki off a speeder and into Stark's apartment where Hulk beats him and it, this is just a phenomenal scene as well you can see loki really start to get unhinged here and then hulk just smashes mm-hmm. he just smashes loki all over the place and it's great <laughs> dude i don't know how it was when you guys saw this but i like i i didn't hear some yes. of the lines of dialogue in this movie uh-huh. until maybe months after when i was watching it for like the fourth time because the first three times I saw this movie, it was in theaters. Mm-hmm. And all three times, that scene specifically had everybody in the whole theater just yeah. in an uproar. They were so happy that Loki was getting just smashed all over the place. And they're all cheering every time yes. Hulk said puny god. And I didn't hear puny god until, you know, that yeah. three or four months after thing. There were a Absolutely. lot of lines like that. But that one... In Best I could describe the reaction to that scene was straight up screaming but like not horror movie screaming, just just excited <laughs> screaming, like a roller coaster screaming. And I absolutely did not know about Puny God. People were referencing Puny God, and I didn't know what they were talking about. I had to go find a bootleg video on YouTube to hear Puny God. Which means that there were people in theaters that probably didn't cheer that loud or that long. So yes. that's also kind of surprising to me. Well, you go back and you see it, Oh, see a morning show yeah. or a matinee. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Was it one of you guys that was telling me that they told Tom Hiddleston what was going to happen in that scene, but they didn't tell oh. him when? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember so reading that like, one. Genuine. Oh, so so I think maybe I think maybe Tom, my roommate, said that to me. I guess that you know they they strapped him up for that scene and they gave him this nor- enormous amount of dialogue. I guess not enormous, but it was lengthy enough. And they told him they were going to yank him, but they didn't say when. Oh, so the look on his face is supposedly. Yeah, if I remember correctly, what it was was they yanked. They did him. the same thing with my favorite jump scare of all time. In that yeah. house. <laughs> what? Sorry. I said they did the same thing with my favorite jump scare of all time in the seventh episode of The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did not tell yes, them when that was going to happen. Yeah, if I remember correctly, yeah. the Loki oh. scene is they just. Every time they shot it, pulled him in a different time, so he doesn't know. And it's, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Look, I had trivia. Hey, Peach wow. is coming through. The World Council then goes over Fury's head and launches a nuclear missile at New York. 
Bum, bum, bum. Oh, we then no. get so there's a shot that I want to talk about in this um, where it's uh, I think he had just been um, blasted somewhere it was Cap and he's sort of watching all the wreckage and happen and there's sort of the white noise in his ear you can sort oh. of see everybody rushing away and earlier in the movie when we're talking about the big um, scene where they're all arguing with each other there's a point where Bruce asks. Nick, if he's building weapons of mass destruction. And as an American, I hear the words weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. and I cringe. That when, when they said it in the movie, I, I was like, ooh, they, like, they said it, they went there. And mm-hmm. during this scene in particular, I've got very, very, there, there were lots of undertones of 9-11. I don't think it was supposed to be exactly the same thing, obviously, because there were no aliens or anything like that. But the the feeling of being New York in a disaster, at least for me, somebody who was alive during 9-11, who mm-hmm. remembers that very vividly, um, I got a lot of that feeling from this. And I don't think, I think it was on purpose. I think they were intentionally calling back to that because they were calling to how you felt during that time, how, how America felt and, and Captain America is, you know, yes. America. And I clearly reading between the lines, the department of defense was not okay with that and not okay with kind of the dark, uh, uh, overlords of shield because they got a lot of support in both the Iron Man movies and Captain America. The department of defense was happy to help with these blockbusters and lend their help. And then we really get almost nothing um military wise in the avengers and that wasn't that they didn't want it they asked for it and i actually have um a quote from uh, phil strubb of the defense department's hollywood liaison uh, about working with this movie and it was we couldn't reconcile the unreality of this international organization and our place in it to whom did shield answer did we work for shield we hit that roadblock and decided we couldn't do anything with the film and so definitely they're straight up talking about well this this uh, nebulous, dangerous government organization that tries to nuke nuke New York. That's hard to say, actually. Nuke New York. Um, yeah. They didn't want to be a part of a New movie York. that had that. And I think you're also right. I don't think they really wanted to be a part of a movie that's talking about WMDs, that's referencing 9-11, but like maybe in kind of cautionary tones. Um, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think everything you said is correct. And it, it kind of framed the movie. And as we do on this podcast... I think it framed the franchise going forward as I think this is when the MCU started to distance itself from being real military and real world problems and started to saying we're going to need to have our fancy science organization and we're going to need to start having aliens um, and, and for the benefit. But I think it stops being as grounded. But I th- think our references, even though it's aliens, it was a very grounded thing that a lot of us had in the grand scheme of things pretty recently lived through at this point. Yeah, it's for those of us that were alive then. Uh, it's it's impossible not to think of it. Anytime you see like a scene of mass destruction happening in a city, fictional or otherwise, but especially when it's New York, and they they made a big show in the movie of having it be they're they're helping civilians. They're heroes. That's what they do. And they do that even more so in Age of Ultron. Uh, And I think that was a direct response to the criticisms that came about because Man of Steel came out a couple years after this. And I don't know if any of you saw that, but Man of Steel was very explicit in its uh, 
I want to call it visual referencing yeah. of, of 9-11. Whereas this is, there's nothing realistic about this. I mean, there, there are buildings falling down and everything, but it's kind of your typical mayhem. And you can argue about whether or not it was done with any nuance or care or not. Uh, but Man of Steel, it was very realistic. It was the buildings are crumbling and now people are running from these massive clouds of dust. And I didn't get uncomfortable watching Avengers and I did get uncomfortable watching that like that. It didn't sit well with me because whereas Avengers, it was using your typical action movie ending of bad things happening in a city uh, as a framework for, and here are these heroes who are going in and saving people. Man of Steel, it, it was, and not to not to make this, Chris disagrees with Zack Snyder's take on Superman episode two, uh, but it was not about saving people, and it was just about, hey, remember this horrible thing that happened a decade ago? Here it is in comic book movie form. You make and Zack Snyder sound not subtle. I know, right? Uh, maybe maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. I don't know. <laughs> Probably doesn't listen to this podcast. I bet he doesn't. Uh, oh gosh, and if he's one of our listeners, so I'm sorry, sorry, Zach. No, you're not. Um, Don't apologize. No, are you? But yeah, it, it. I don't know. For me, it was handled better in this, and I hope that's not just my. Oh, I like the Avengers, so it's okay because I like Superman too. Uh, but I didn't like Man of Steel, and I think that was a big part of it. Was it was all the destruction with none of the hope. If, if that makes any sense, because I think Avengers ends up being a hopeful story about, you know, a group of people can become something more. And I know, like Nick right. Fury said, that, that was the idea. I know it's funny because in Man of Steel, he literally goes, it's my people's symbol for hope. And then I hear and then I think in my head, hope starts with an S, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that a is that a Man of Steel or is that Batman v Superman? That was Man of Steel, yeah. Man of Steel, right? It's my people's symbol for hope. Mm -hmm. And I want to real quick, just for every episode we do on something Chris said, I know there's a lot of LOL, the DC Extended Universe failed, you know, go Marvel stuff, and I think we I can speak for everyone when I say we are Marvel fanboys, but not at expense of DC. I think this is a podcast of people that would have loved a successful DC universe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've wanted a Batman, a good Batman Superman movie for years, and someday maybe we'll get one that's yeah. not animated. <laughs> At least my we got favorite, a good Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> if I were to pick a second superhero that isn't Spider Man, that I would say my favorite superhero is it's the Green Lantern. And let me tell you how hard it's been oh, yeah. as a Green Lantern fan. I'm so sorry. It has not been a good yeah. time. Hey, there was you one shot nothing. of a Green Lantern in Justice League. I know that's not a day, sir. Boy, and I really wanted to like it. I wanted to like the Green Lantern movie. I defended it. But boy, it's just not a good movie. Yeah. Sad day. Black Widow determines that Loki's staff is the key to uh, shutting down the portal. But Tony tells her that there's a bomb headed that way, and he tries to make that ultimate sacrifice that we're, we alluded to earlier. As she cuts off the portal and he directs the atomic bomb into the portal, he successfully makes it through and then falls out just in time for the portal to close. He is then whisked out of the air by the incredulous Hulk. And <laughs> Gemma Greg. <laughs> Gemma Greg to the rescue. 
<laughs> and we finally get the end of what is the Battle of New York. Once the portal closes and the bomb hits the big mothership, all the Chitari just kind of fall over and stop. And Robbie, you didn't like that that much. Mm-hmm. No, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this movie is one that is meant to be enjoyed. Um, I think maybe a negative uh, criticism balances out this podcast. So I'll end up with something happy at the end of this. But I just, right before this is, I think, a really cool moment, just as a side note. I do like that Black Widow's character gets the moment where she shuts off the portal because she's not one of the big names. Um, and yet it's also not done in a, a look, we made a female empowerment moment, nor is it like kind of hand waved to give her something. It ends up being very legitimate to the character that she gets a big moment in this battle where she shuts it down and then she shuts it down and then everyone just dies. And honestly, it's just kind of a lame cop out. It, it feels just a little too convenient and weird that, Oh, well you kill the mothership. They die. Okay. That's great. And, Phantom Menace does that with the droid army, and um, honestly, I, I don't think any of you guys are, are Tolkien nerds like me, uh, but if you remember the Return of the King, the ghost army just shows up and wipes everything out and ends the battle, which is not what happens in the books. In the books, they just show up and scare them, and, and you know, that's three Ooh. movies where this, this little trope is used where, right, yes, boo, um... <laughs> where this trope is used of, we don't know how to end this bottle. Uh, just have this MacGuffin kill them all. And it's just kind of weird and lame. And it's a kind of a boring ending to me of what is a really exciting action sequence. I, I don't see how it couldn't have been just the Avengers stemmed the invasion. And now the Avengers and the, the whatever shield, the military clean up what's left because they had done quite a bit of damage. I don't think, after closing that portal, it would have been unbelievable to win the battle from there. Um, but it just felt a little too convenient to me, and it it's kind of leaves a the slightest of bitter tastes in my mouth in a really delicious uh, meal. Yeah, but I think to to counter your point, there was still enough of them there that would have been a pretty decent fight afterwards, and I think they have already reached the climax of the fight there. So what do they do? Do they get the SpongeBob uh, voiceover guy and go, three hours later, <laughs> and they're at the end of the fight? I, I honestly think you can handle a montage. It's just a brief montage of showing what's left getting whipped. As long as Hulk goes, little, 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 little. Okay. I, I, I think though that, it, yeah, it's it's not the ideal ending, but the emotional climax of it is Tony going to make that sacrifice, and to have him do that, and then have him wake up and go, okay, well, there's still about twenty guys downtown we got to beat up and have just a couple more punches. <laughs> right. That would not have been satisfying to watch at all. You know what it makes so. me think of? It makes me think of the ending to Independence Day. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Peaches yet again has not seen a movie. You've never seen Independence Day? Are you kidding me? No. But see, I actually think I know that I know the line "Welcome to Earth" because (laughs) someone I used to live with said that all the time. (laughs) And I actually think Independence Day is a good example of how to do this well. And that's not at all saying Independence Day is a better movie than Avengers. In it's not even close. But I do think Independence Day handles it well. Of they take down the big ship. And then it's just, you know, in, I think, an honestly believable hand wave of, now we know how to take them down, we'll take down the rest. And I accept that in Independence Day. I think you still get that emotional core while 
you know, handling what's going to happen. I don't think having the Avengers pick off the last few Chitari would necessarily have been important to see on screen. No, I got to disagree with you too, Robbie, because my butt was so clenched from Tony falling to the earth. I thought he was dead. I was really scared that he was dead and I would not have been able to handle anything else after that point. I think they needed to end it there because it was like, is he dead? Is he not dead? It's resolved rather quickly, all things considered. But I was really worried that I was going to lose my favorite character. Uh, don't tell future Peaches mm-hmm. what happens. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that was a. I think it was a great ending to the battle. I don't know. I don't see any problem with it. But you did say you were nitpicking, so yeah, I'm. I am literally partly nitpicking just to balance <laughs> out the love fest that is this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I just think it's imperfect, but it's better than the alternative, I think. That's it's possible. more satisfying. Yeah. I could be convinced. So the film then reaches its end with Fury having a nice montage about how the world needs the Avengers and how when we need them again, they'll be there. And Loki is then taken back to Asgard with his brother Thor, which sets up the Dark World, which we're going to watch here in two episodes, so get ready for that one. Um and then we get the post credit scene. The first oh, one being... Oh, and Bruce is going off to work with Tony. You're yep. right. Bruce is going yeah. off to work Later, with Tony. losers, we're going to go science. Yeah. And the other reports that humanity is too dangerous to rule and that it is revealed that he is speaking with Thanos. I have one gripe if we're going to talk about retcons. One grape? Yes, one grape. Okay, say you're Thanos, right? <laughs> say you're Thanos, and you're trying to get your whole your hands on the Tesseract because you know it's an Infinity Stone. Do you give the person <laughs> who you have to do this your one other Infinity Stone to get it done? Oh, hey, I need these Infinity Stones. Let me give you my only one so you can go get me another one. I legitimately Maybe. think putting the Infinity Stone in the Scepter is actually one of the weaker choices in the entire MCU. It could have been in so many other places. Maybe he just wanted to remain as anonymous as possible in the beginning. Like he wanted to collect these stones and he didn't feel like doing the work or he didn't want to, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to be a little stealthy for a while. I don't Does know. Does that I think sound like were... the Thanos we finally saw on screen? No, <laughs> but obviously he's went through some shit. I, oh, I think oh. there were definitely some character changes. Yes. Up until Infinity War, and this right. is just one of those that just doesn't right. kind of match. And just up. being a retrospective, I think that's what we're actually oh, supposed to talk about. Yeah, lead, leading that's up to Infinity War, I know it's uh, Thanos, and and I've said this before, not on this podcast, but I once said that the the Marvel character that I most identify with is Ronan the Accuser because I've also had bosses who sit in their office and have people do things that they should just be doing themselves. I've never had such uh, a boss. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, Wait, you mean sit at the office or go on a four-week vacation? It depends. Back to back to back to back to back. I've had multiple jobs. Uh, anyway, but you you do see that Thanos is all about, and it actually even comes back in Endgame. I know there's a retrospective, so we'll talk about it, is that in Endgame, we see Thanos from Guardians of the Galaxy era, where he's still having his minions go off and do it. This is before he's decided... He's had that moment of, fine, I'll do it myself. Because as soon as he decided to do it himself, he got all the stones in a week. He 
and yeah. he should have been doing this a lot longer, but it's all about, Oh, I'll have Ronan get me this one. I'll have Loki get me that one. And he has no reason to think, you know, that Loki's going to, I mean, I, him giving him the mind stone is, is dumb in retrospect. And, and clearly they did not have the idea that this was, that that was going to be an infinity stone. They even probably didn't have the idea that, that the Tesseract was going to be an Infinity Stone. The Tesseract was just a Cosmic Cube stand-in because that's the one other thing Thanos is always trying to get in the comics is a Cosmic Cube. Yeah, that's what I assumed. It was the Cosmic Cube. It was, And for a long time I thought, nah, that won't actually be an Infinity Stone. It's the Cosmic Cube. Then there will be also Infinity Stones. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's interesting to note that Thanos was in this movie almost by accident. It was not a grand plan. We call it They call it the Infinity Saga now. But that was not what their plan was at the beginning. Their plan was, let's get to Avengers and see if, see if we can do that. Uh, and they knew that they wanted Loki to be working for someone. And Joss Whedon just said to Kevin Feige, hey, could I make it Thanos? And Kevin Feige said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And that's how we got Avengers Infinity War, <laughs> was just Joss Whedon shooting a shot and saying, could I use Thanos? And Kevin Feige going, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, um which is why you know it is definitely a, a retcon, a later idea that the that the I almost called it the cosmic cube that the tesseract and the scepter are both infinity stones. But yeah, it is a little bit messy. It worked in the long run, but it, it it does raise some questions about why did Thanos you know Thanos has just had a really bad idea. But but let's talk about aside from that whole I gave I gave Loki the mind stone. Whoops. I had one. Now I have none. Uh, what do you all think? What, what did you all think when you saw Thanos on screen? I didn't I, know who oh, he I'll, was. Yeah. My thought was, who's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I definitely knew Rob, who Thanos was, but I didn't recognize him on screen. Like, okay. and, and I still have trouble figuring out. I remember I thought, is that some Cree? I'm supposed, I remember actually for a moment, I thought it was the, um, uh, what's the Cree that has all the, the fantastic Four's powers. Um, oh, the Super Scroll. Yeah, the Super that's, that's... No, I'm sorry, not the Kree. Scroll. I don't know why I'm saying Kree. Okay. I definitely thought it was the Super Scroll for a second, and I remember thinking, why is he purple? Is the Super Scroll purple? And I don't just forget. And so I didn't immediately recognize it as Thanos. I think I realized it was Thanos I, I before I got home. I don't remember how I realized it um, mm-hmm. and got pretty excited. But I did not in the moment, like, I and I feel kind of cheated by this because I did not go, oh, it's Thanos, like, I like wish the guy I sitting in front of me did. Yes. Which is how I knew. <laughs> um, I did not know enough about the MCU yet. I'm sorry, just Marvel in general to know that that was Thanos. However, I will say that he looked like Grimace. <laughs> he looked like the McDonald's Grimace mascot. And even seeing it now, it kind of makes me want chicken nuggets. <laughs> Uh, but most things make me want chicken nuggets, so I guess that's not a huge deal. I think, personally, that they should take the route that they took with the Star Wars films when they remastered them for DVD and Blu-ray, where they you know, they, they threw Hayden Christensen's said. ghost in at the end. You know, all that stuff mm-hmm. that Robbie and pretty much most people hate. I think they should do that with this movie with the updated Thanos look. I don't think it would hurt the movie all I that agree. much because I would actually, really I, actually wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that at all if they did that. And, it would, and and I don't know if they had a different actor playing Grimace Thanos they did. or if it's they still did. Josh yeah, Brolin. Yeah, Josh Brolin was brought on for Guardians, right? Yeah, that was when they cast him. Okay. Yeah, cuz So maybe they didn't want to take away the the acting credit from whoever played that little tiny Thanos part. I actually learned something. He's like, so the, the actor is Damien Poitier 
and he is a stunt okay. he's a stunt actor. Uh he was just kind of tall enough to use for the screen. And I never noticed until I watched it this time. He is actually credited in the credits as man number one. <laughs> um, Didn't want to give it away, I guess. And uh, I think I sent you guys this, but I, I found recently that uh, their initial test was they actually put him in makeup. And I think uh, it looks weird. Here's yeah, the thing they, they did almost never hear me say it is better that they didn't use a practical effect. Huh. Yeah, when they when yeah. Thanos in Infinity War is one of the best CG characters I've ever seen in a live action movie. So, but yeah, I wouldn't mind if they went in and just kind of digitally touched it up and made it because uh, made it the Thanos that we now know, uh, just for continuity. It's just sake. a small scene. Yeah. yeah, like I guess it doesn't matter that much. And uh, uh, there isn't another one where we see Thanos looking like Grimace, yeah. is there? He's no. a little more purple in Guardians than he is in Infinity War, but you can just chalk that up to yeah. it's darker, I guess. Yeah, maybe not. maybe he it's aged. Lighting. Maybe maybe purple alien people age by getting paler. Perhaps Possibly. that's what happens with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure how important it is you change that because also like in rewatching, you kind of know where this is going probably, and if you don't, then that character reveal isn't that important. So that cutscene. Yeah. Or that mid-credit scene really just only exists for in the moment of, oh my god, setting it up for something in the future. Yeah, it's like, oh, Loki's working for someone. This guy looks scary. And, uh, yeah. oh, the we haven't talked about the most important thing in that scene, which is the other saying that the humans are unruly and they can't be ruled. And to challenge them is to court death. And yeah. that's what makes Thanos smile. And, and Robbie, you, you being the one who knew Thanos going into this, so... Uh, would you like to explain what that line means well, and how it doesn't mean anything in the context except it's a fun Easter egg now? Yeah, absolutely. And it is a fun Easter egg. And I, I guess I don't know how much I have to explain because it, it's hard for me to assume what does our audience know? What do you guys know? But Thanos' entire motivation in the comics, literally his entire motivation, almost it's kind of kind of weakens him, is he's in the Marvel Universe. There is a cosmic being that is literally death. Um, no, it's not quite the Grim Reaper, but that's really, it's not that far from the Grim Reaper, but death in the comics is Lady Death. She's a, a woman that alternates between being a creepy skeleton or an actually very beautiful person with basically omnipotence, but she's interested in death. Um, she's very obsessed with the idea that more people, more beings are currently alive in the universe than have ever died. And she sees that as unbalanced. Um, so Marvel Comics Thanos is not inherently obsessed with balance. What he is, is he has a big old crush on Lady Death. And he wants to balance the life in the universe specifically to make her happy and get her to be in love with him. And never works. Um, and so Mar Comics Thanos is a super powerful, super intelligent being whose weakness are, A, he kind of always wants to lose, but B, he's trying to impress this cosmic being, Death. And so this line is absolutely a nod to his motivation in the comics because mm -hmm. he wants to literally court yes, death he literally death. wants to court death it's it is actually a pretty good line <laughs> yeah it's a great line and it even though they they change his motivation in the films it still works because it has that great double meaning yeah so it, it it's it's absolutely fine i know there are some people and i was one actually going into infinity war i was a little concerned about the change in motivation i was like oh you know i think it's kind of interesting that Thanos is this super powerful cosmic horror 
whose motivation boils down to why doesn't she like me? I've yes. done everything to impress her. <laughs> and that could be, uh, that could be a lot of, and it could be fun to see on screen. Yeah, um, I agree. I love film Thanos, but I kind of, yeah, I, th- I think in the end it worked out. I think it was, a, it was, a, it, it worked very well for what they did. Cause I, and like, okay, I shouldn't have doubted, you know, Thanos. Ended who, up being great, but who would have played death? I th- honestly, I thought that uh, Kate Blanchett was going to play Death. I thought that they were going to make it that Hella. Yes, was I thought they were the instead of making the Omnipotent Death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought instead of making Omnipotent Death, they were going to bring in Kate Blanchett. Hella was going to be Death. From the first time I saw a trailer for Ragnarok, I I just assumed that's where they're going. And honestly, I think it would have worked just fine. But oh well. Yeah, I also think it worked well the way they did it. So I'm oh yeah, no, yeah, no, it's yeah. it's not a big criticism. Um, I have no, I w- it's, it's barely even a criticism for me. It's just right. that, oh, that could have been interesting, but I like what we got. So. I also thought, for those who haven't read it, the um, the comic that inspired Infinity War has, the whole time, Thanos is just being coaxed along by Mephisto, who is literally yes. the devil. But his character in that book is pretty much Loki, uh, what MCU Loki is. And I really thought MCU Loki was going to be Mephisto. And that one actually does sure kind of that- disappoint me that we didn't get. I thought for sure that we would get that and because Mephisto is kind of playing both sides even in mm-hmm. Infinity Gauntlet, the comic. And I thought that was what we were going to get was going to be Loki being, a, okay, whose side is he really on? He was going to be Thanos' right hand. Uh, little sad we didn't get that, if only because I would have liked more Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. And, and it would have been fun to see, okay, whose side is he really on? But again, seeing where that story went, I'm fine with it. Yeah. So we then get one last fun little scene with the Avengers eating some shawarma at a at a destroyed restaurant, and the movie comes to its close. We have reached the end of the Avengers. Now, let's let's take a moment here because we, we we've just finished the Avengers. We've this is the end of Phase One. We have finished mm-hmm. Phase One Oof. of this podcast, and Oof. this movie, in my opinion, is a just a, a very clear step ahead of every other movie that has come before it mm-hmm. in the MCU. It is just so, so good. And Chris, I know you wanted to touch on the movie just as a whole and about how the movie is just phenomenal. It never should have worked and it does. And I still don't know how they did it. And they've every single time I've said, how can Marvel make this work? They've done it. I thought for sure that Avengers is like, okay, I mean, yeah, they're bringing all these different movies together into one big movie. Will it work? And it did. They they did a great script, great, great actors, just everything about it. It's compelling. It's fun to watch. You care about the characters. It works if you've seen the rest of the movies very well. It works if you haven't seen the rest of the movies. It makes you want to go back and watch them. Uh, and I'm going to remember, we've talked about the box office receipts of the previous movies and the Iron Man movies were the the big hits of the MCU up to this point. They were very successful. Hulk did fine. Uh, Thor and Captain America both did fine. Nowhere near what we expect out of Marvel movies now. Uh, But for the time it's like, okay, yeah, they were, they were moderate, moderately to good successes. And then the question was, how will Avengers do? Are, are people going to go see it? Or is it going to resonate with people? And it did. It was the first movie ever to make $200 million in its opening weekend. And it's still, 
I thought for sure if the movie was going to be successful, it was going to be because of word of mouth. But no, people went out and saw it and they saw it multiple times that first weekend. And it wasn't just the comic fans that were going to go see it. Uh, for it to have done that well, that meant that people who had never seen a comic book movie before were going to go see it. And they loved it. And now we're at the point where Avengers Endgame, which was also a movie, that and Infinity War were movies where I was like, if they can pull it off, I, I don't know how they'll do it. And, and they did brilliantly. And now Endgame is the highest grossing movie ever. Ever. Uh, yeah. Not adjusted for inflation. Uh, <laughs> okay. Gone with the wind. You still got it. But uh, uh, but still. The, Frankly, Chris, is, I don't give a damn. Hey! I see what uh, Whoa! Very nice, very nice. I appreciate now, that. I Peaches, you are sitting, living proof that this movie probably credited with making more MCU fans than any of the other MCU movies because this is the movie that sort of turned you, right? Yeah, that's true. That is true. I, you know, it's what compelled me to go back and watch from the start. I just had a lot of fun watching it. I don't. I don't know that I have a ton to say uh, additionally, but yeah, it's it, it was successful. I mean, I, I guess you can lump me in with those people that weren't necessarily uh, comic book fans for a while. And, you know, I think it, it speaks volumes about how well the movie was made that, you know, all of us are sitting here doing a podcast about it <laughs> and that there are people that probably never would have had an interest in anything comic related spent that much money on the movies. So, and well, I don't know. It's... And I'm really happy about that. Like, I love that, you know, I have you as a friend who got into this stuff and this, I, you know, we Aww. go back far enough that I know you. And I think I know Chris since before this movie came out and mm -hmm. that's cool. It's cool that you guys got into this thing that I love because of this movie. And it's not just the two of you. There's a lot of other reasons that this has happened, but I think the MCU is part of it. If I go to a bookstore now, I see, you know, middle school girls sitting around reading. I, I go to, to we have a local comic book store, comic Coliseum of Comics right down the street. And when I go in there, almost every day I go in, there's middle school girls sitting and reading comics. They're with, you know, adult dudes, um, you know, classic neckbeards are there as well. But all ages and all genders are sitting in there going through comic books. When I was growing up, absolutely not. Um, girls did not read comics. I did not have a single female friend that read comic books. I did not have a single female friend that would have gone and read comic books. And in fact, I didn't have that many male friends that would have either. The only ones I did were super awkward nerds like me. Uh, you know, I, I actually was a football player in high school. I didn't necessarily get along with all of my teammates. Um, none of them cared about comic books. And I think in large part, yes, the internet and a lot of things have made geek culture uh, less of a stigma. But I think the MCU gets a lot of credit for exposing a lot of people to the medium um, and being able to appreciate this sort of thing. And I'm, you could be bitter about that, but I think that's wrong. I think you need to be genuinely thankful at a wider audience. When, when something you love gains a wider audience and becomes more accepted, I think you should be happy that more people appreciate this thing you love. And I love that. I love that now I... I all of my female friends now know who Captain America is. And that's not something I knew for most of my life. And that's a cool thing to me. Yeah. yeah. I would... This is the Robbie makes you sad episode. Like, <laughs> sad. Can we, can we, 
No, like a good sad, like a like a oh. Sad. Well, no, I think we could point to my wife, um, who yes, will be on an episode absolutely. here eventually, but she is not uh, the the typical demographic for a movie like this or a franchise. She hadn't been for most of her life. Mm-hmm. This wasn't necessarily her cup of tea, and she has watched every single one of these movies with me since we have been together. We have watched every Marvel mm-hmm. movie together, and it is something that we do mm-hmm. together. It is an activity for us to go see the Marvel movies mm-hmm. and for us to nerd out, even though she's not a nerd. Yep, and shout something out to the <laughs> shout out to the nerds that can get themselves a hottie. Let's go. Yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> And 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 um cat my my wife cat was a little little bit more of a nerd but she's the same way a lot of this is stuff that she started to love partly thanks to these movies and partly thanks to the stigma being lifted um and something Eduardo your wife I know has said to us is you know sometimes she feels like she wished this had been more acceptable for someone of her demographic to like growing up because she feels like she came to nerd stuff a lot later than we did and realized she liked it and. I guess it's kind of sad that it took this long to get to this point, but I'm happy we're at that point. Yeah, it's it's just so great. Every everyone knows what the Infinity Stones are. Everyone knows what the Infinity right? Gauntlet is. God, like we live in a world we live in a world where everyone knows who Groot is. Can you imagine that? Most comic book fans didn't even know who Groot was, <laughs> and now thanks, Vin Diesel. Right? Yeah, it's Vin Diesel. I am Vin. Uh, it's all about family, uh, but uh, yeah, you know when you see just everyone, you know, making jokes about oh, you know, if if something gets wiped away, people are like oh, Thanos snapped, and that is just a cultural reference that everyone gets now. It is just part yep. of our collective fabric of pop culture now, and that's just wild to me that was an obscure i mean it was a very popular comic book story but it was a very popular comic book story amongst comic book fans mm-hmm. and now it is just american slash world pop culture mm-hmm. it, it, it is just a, a common reference that everyone gets and uh, just as much as they get you know, Cinderella uh, and Midnight being a thing uh, or any other big culture reference or, or Star Wars, all of these things that yep. you just sort of take for granted that you sort of absorb by, absorb by cultural osmosis. These, these comic book stories and these very specific, strange, weird comic book stories are now that as well. And it all starts with the success of this movie right here that we took, we started off with, we talked about in the Iron Man episode that it was a more quote unquote grounded movie. It's an industrial billionaire genius uh, who builds a suit and he fights this, this corrupt industrialist and terrorists. And not a few years later, he is now carrying a nuclear weapon through a portal to outer space to stop an invading alien army led by Loki, the god of the Norse god of mischief, uh, <laughs> while a super soldier from World War II that his dad helped create is on the ground running point with a super spy. And also, Gamma Greg is there. Uh, and <laughs> also, Gamma <laughs> <laughs> you know, Greg. We went from that. But we went from the story of Iron Man to the crazy. Uh, up at the. Uh, at this point, I, I used to call Avengers, and it is not true anymore, but when Avengers came out, I always referred to it as 
the most comic book movie ever made. It was taking the comics, like these comic concepts and throwing them up on screen in a way that I think even other comic movies had not done at this point. And it's not the most comic book movie ever made anymore because now we've gotten infinity war and Endgame and all these other things, but it all started with, and with, with, with Avengers. And it proved that it was at this point, the most important Marvel movie ever made. And I think, I think there are certain movies that if they had failed, we wouldn't have the MCU as we know it now. We wouldn't have, I'm just going to keep referring to infinity war and Endgame as sort of the culmination of it, of this wild experiment. And I think Avengers was the first one. And then guardians of the galaxy, the fact that they turned that into a massive hit was was like their next thing their their proof that they were bulletproof really that they could do anything and you can't really understate how important avengers was to marvel studios and to pop culture in general now i want to talk about who's important to each of us individually in reference to this movie let's talk about our mvps peaches let's start with you man give us your well thought out very specific (laughs) mvp I think that you're making fun of me slightly. Uh, I can't really tell. Guys, the real MVP of the movie is the Galaga guy. He thought you wouldn't call him out, but you did. Hear hear me out on this one. Dude is working for a top secret military organization on the bridge that he knows Nick Fury, Maria Hill, and several other people that are in a much higher position of power than him are on. And dude is playing Galaga when Tony Stark walks onto the to the bridge. When that scene ends, not only does he immediately go back to playing Galaga, <laughs> he's playing Galaga with a joystick that he brought to his computer with with the sound on. The sound is not in his earphones, you guys. Everyone on the bridge can hear Galaga. He's like, fuck all of you. I'm going to do what I want. He's the hero of the movie. He's Hydra. But if I can't pick him, he might be Hydra. But if I can't pick him, I don't know who to pick because everybody's so great. It's it's like a three-way tie for me between Cap, Tony, and Loki, and I used one of their first names. and I, I don't know. I can't pick. Captain Iron Lokia. Okay. Sounds like a And I agree it's really hard. Yeah. Um like this is a true ensemble piece where there's a lot a lot of great uh uh characters. I I think I could have gone with Black Widow. I think I could have gone with Mark Ruffalo in his first MCU appearance. I think he might be the star of this movie. Um and I think he's actually going to be my MVP in the future in in other films. Um and I could have gone a lot of places. I really thought I was going to go with Loki. I thought he was such a great villain and Tom Hiddleston is so great that he would be my MVP here. But honestly, on rewatching, I think it's uh, it's my defending MVP from the last episode, Captain Steve Rogers. Uh, I, I just think Chris Evans, his leadership of the team sells the movie so well. And I I love the character. You know, we, we loved him in Captain America and then we put him in this environment and he just excels so well and and brings it all home uh it's tough and there's a bunch of candidates but i went with captain america again that's great i knew you'd like it oh yeah i do like it even though i picked someone else i like it uh i i just want to say real quick that the galaga scene 
that's my favorite arcade game of all time. So when that got a shout out that movie, I was so excited. But anyway, um, I, <laughs> I mean, Space Invaders, it fits. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, my MVP, uh, you may have gathered from some things I said earlier. It's kind of an offbeat choice, but I'm going to go with Agent Philip J. Colson. Uh, I've shouted him out in every movie that that he has appeared in up to this point. And I think he is kind of the heart of this movie. Uh, as I said earlier, that he, aside from Nick Fury himself, he is the the true believer. Uh, Stan Lee always called his Marvel fans. He's the true believer in the Avengers. And he has some great scenes. Again, this is, uh, aside from Thor, this is the most we see of him. Uh, and we're really starting to get a feel of his character. And you see him interacting with his fellow S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. You see him interacting with Black Widow, with Fury. And you get to see kind of the partnership that he and Fury have and how Coulson is one of the only people probably on the planet that Nick Fury trusts. Uh, and you see him interacting with Tony. And they, they already have a great rapport as well. And, you know, he gets to reunite with Thor, which is fun. And you get to see him fanboy over Captain America, which is just so much fun that he is the comic book fanboy who is in the middle of all this comic book stuff. And then that death scene made me very sad because I loved Coulson and I was so excited to see him in Iron Man three. And that was not to be as he's dying and he's, he's accepting it. I mean, he, he gets a, he gets a good last look in on, on Loki with that gun that they built out of the destroyer uh, tech. And he shoots and goes, that's what that does. But then when, uh, when Fury comes up and he's trying to, trying to tell him it's going to be, he's like, no, sir. And he goes, no, sir, it's okay. This was never going to work if they didn't have something to, and then he dies before he can say avenge. But in that moment, they do become the Avengers and because they actually do have something to avenge. And we didn't talk about this. The way, the way they got their name in the comics was literally Janet Van Dyne. God bless her. The wasp says we should call ourselves the Avengers. That's a cool name. Yep. That is why they're the Avengers. I love Wasp. I'm not even <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. That's how they come up with the name. She thinks it sounds cool, and they go, "Yep, we're the Avengers now." But in here, they are actually avenging him. And Tony gets that great line when he's threatening Loki later on in his penthouse, and he's he says, "If we can't save the world, you can be damn sure we're going to avenge it." And then he's he's listing all the people that Loki's pissed off. He's listing the. Uh, the actual god, the super soldier who, li- who lives up to the legend, a couple master assassins, and then he shoots him and says, oh, there's one more guy you pissed off. His name's Phil. And which is a great callback to the beginning when he says, his first name is Agent. Agent. Yeah. And you see how much Tony was shaken by Col- because as much as they had that antagonistic relationship, you could tell that it was the sort of playful antagonism of Tony Stark. Of, oh, this, this guy again. But you also get a brief moment of him as they're walking onto the bridge where he's saying, hey, you know, just let me know. I'll get you a plane. I'll fly out to Portland so you can see her talking about the cellist. You know, he he genuinely he does like Agent Coulson. You can tell he likes him and he is really shaken. And Steve has a line. Is this the first time you've lost a soldier? Because we're not soldiers and he's not willing to grapple with it. And it's when he does accept it. That's when he becomes the hero. And I think that for those reasons, Coulson is my MVP. <laughs> I was going to say, are you changing your mind that it's Tony? What's nope. happening? No, no, no. It's that Col- what a train. No, that, that, that Coulson <laughs> is is the impetus to all of that. 
and and okay. it's because we care about Coulson, and we get to see how the other how the Avengers care about Coulson as well. All right, boys, it's time for the big reveal. It's right, time yeah. to for us to finally find out who Eduardo's MV Loki. It's Loki, okay? It's <laughs> definitely it's definitely Loki. <laughs> I've said it a hundred times on this podcast, how much I love this performance, how much I love Tom Hiddleston's performance, um, specifically in this movie. I think he steals the show anytime he's on screen, whether it be in, in a terrifying way, whether it be how throughout the movie he becomes more and more unhinged once he realizes that these people that he thought were beneath him are actually not just his equals, but maybe even superior to him. I think the performance from Tom Hiddleston is top notch. And I just think he just puts the movie together so much so that every single other Marvel movie is then compared to his performance in this movie because they don't have a compelling enough villain. And I don't think we see a true compelling villain until maybe Black Panther because of how good of a job Loki does in this movie. Yeah, I can't think of a better one right now. Did 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 Homecoming come up before or after Black Panther? Right after, wasn't it? Uh, after. Right after. Uh, like I think right yeah, after. Right. Yeah, because I was gonna say because because Vulture's good. I do think Zemo is compelling. Not that's not to the same level as Killmonger or Loki, but I do think Zemo is compelling. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say that we didn't get any good villains besides Loki. Ego. I think Ego's a good villain. Yes. Uh, yes. Was yeah, that in between? Uh, there, there are other good villains, but but it, it, if you rank them, it's like Loki, it's like Loki, Killmonger, and Thanos, and then Spacebar, 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 yes. and then... Right. It, and it's not to say any of them are bad. Some of them are good villains, yeah. but the ones yeah, that yeah. really sort of transcend the role, that really sort of, sort of take it to that next level, Loki is in that pantheon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, how does this movie fit into the MCU? As if we haven't talked about it for, you know, basically the entire episode. It fits great. It sets everything yep. up. It, it's just, it is what it is, right? It's the Avengers. It is the the beginning of what becomes one of the one of the most incredible movie going experiences of not only our generation but of all time. It I was mean, not. A, go ahead. It was a successful proof of concept. It was, it proved to you that this universe was going to work and made you want to stick around and see what was going on. I remember someone on Twitter um, that Chris and I particularly love, um, uh, Passport to Dreams, who's a fantastic um, theme park analyst on themed design, which is a thing that exists, people. Um, Mm -hmm. She had a statement once how interesting it was that the MCU has been successful despite having some down notes. Most film franchises, like once they have a down movie, that's the end. There's no recovering. Time to reboot. And right, you reboot because you're not recovering from the down movie. Most franchises, Thor The Dark World would be the end of the franchise. But the MCU, I think, just proved so well with Avengers, now this works. And occasionally we'll trip up. You just gotta carry it, you know, dust yourself off and move on. And we did that with the MCU because this proof of concept was so successful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> so let's get into our ratings. Robbie, we'll start with you since you just had a, a nice, lovely little tirade. Uh, what's your rating on this? Uh, believe it or not, I like this movie. Um, I gave it... <laughs> 
I gave it 9.5 some I gave it some 9.5 forms of electricity out of 10. <laughs> oh my gosh. I took me till just till you saying that to realize what you were referencing. <laughs> Chris, what'd you give it? I gave it 9.5 vintage trading cards with some slight foxing around the edges out of 10. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. I like that. I gave it nine puny gods out of ten. Solid. <laughs> I also gave it nine boots quarreling with ants out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, quarreling. <laughs> now let's get into our rankings. Robbie, once again, we'll start with you. Where do you put the Avengers in with the rest of phase one? Like, where would you, where would you rank it? I couldn't decide <laughs> if it's between Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2. Or maybe just below Iron Man 2. No, right, it's first. Right. It's Avengers, <laughs> Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2. But it is, it's not just first. It's like, there's like an empty tier after ahead of Thor. Then Avengers is on the first tier all by itself. Chris? Yeah, I, uh, I, um, I also have it first. I have Avengers, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and Hulk. It's this movie and... Uh, Two weeks ago, you heard me gush about how much I love Captain America: The First Avenger. But this movie, this is this is one of those desert island movies for me. I like if I could only, if I were stuck in desert island with electricity, some kind of electricity, <laughs> and a way to watch a movie. It's a very specific island. This, this would be one of those movies that I feel like I could just watch over and over and over again, and just to be part of that world and see those characters interacting. It never gets old. I never get tired of it. How about you? Yeah, it's number one for me too. It's uh, right at the front, and I'll tell you the whole list at a later episode. <laughs> oh, it's Avengers, Iron Man, Captain Got America, him. Thor, Hulk, and Iron no, Man 2. That was my secret, Chris. That's oh, his sorry. secret, Chris. <laughs> he always has a list. <laughs> oh. oh I thought, I thought you didn't have your list with you, and I was trying to help you out. Can you, can you just, like, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Since we all... You're fine. I'm not, a... I'm not actually mad. Uh, okay. Shocking everyone, I also have it at the top of my list. Jeez, guys. Uh, followed by Cap, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and Iron Man 2. Wait, Eduardo, you're not trying to disagree with the majority right now? No, I think this movie's great. This movie, <laughs> look, we can live in a world where this movie is great and the helicarrier is stupid. Both of those things can exist at the same time. <laughs> the helicarrier is not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Boy. We're going to need an audio warning before Robbie yells. The little toy set that Ant-Man and Yellow Jacket fight on is a more interesting set piece than the Helicarrier. I will express my opinion on that in a future episode. <laughs> Which you'll have to wait wow. for the future episode. <laughs> That's going to do it for us over here at Assembly Required. Thank you, guys for listening all the way through phase one with us. This is incredible. How are we already through phase one? I actually have my box set of phase two that just arrived in the mail. Hey. And I am ready to watch all of these movies. We got plenty more movies coming out. Uh, maybe a, a bonus episode or two in there for you. Who knows? Oh. Maybe some, some, little, some little extra stuff. So keep listening. We appreciate you. We appreciate you being on this journey with us as we continue to reassemble the MCU. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at AssemblyCast on Twitter and on Facebook. 
You can email the show, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. We've got GatorSax2010, D underscore Peaches, PhilKid3, at ABCDEduardo1 on Twitter. If you want to follow each of us, that's going to do it. It's going to do it for me. It's going to do it for Chris. It's going to do it for Peaches. It's going to do it for Robbie. We love you, 3000, everybody. See ya. Excelsior. You never asked me about this dumb fucking story. Oh, tell story. us about yeah. your dumb story. That was supposed to be. This yeah. is. Yeah. Well. It's honestly, it's probably better that you that we didn't talk about it. Okay. So I had just, I watched Avengers twice for this episode and I had just watched it for the first time. And afterwards I was hungry. So I have this Arby's down the street for me that's connected to a gas station. Uh, it's like a Love's gas station or whatever. Okay. And I walk in there and, you know, you walk through the gas station and get to the Arby's. And I had, I had seen, you know, the Mr. Peanut with like the top mm-hmm. hat monocle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I saw that. And for some reason, my mind went to, that's like the mascot. If Loki, because of like the wicked smile that he has and Nick Fury did one of those like face merge. things. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. I know it's really stupid, but I'm just like. That's that's Loki and Nick Fury. Like if they had a baby, it'd be like a like a peanut baby. I don't know. I don't know. Boy, what this is gonna make for some great after credits content. <laughs> oh, I'm. <laughs> I was praying that you would not stop the recording until oh, he was no, done telling the story. Oh no, we're keeping this rolling. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. I don't know why I had that experience. It's just it was just one of those things because you know he has the monocle, which is like the eye patch. I don't mm-hmm. just fuck me right. <laughs>